your heads with me and we'll enter into uh, just a little moment of confession and quietness before the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we come uh, confessing that you alone are worthy of worship. That you alone are the great God, the one that made everything. We also come as a people um, that desire to be honest and confess our own sinfulness and our own rebellion in the way that we don't always worship you alone. Sometimes we worship other gods. Sometimes we worship self and pleasure. Sometimes we worship our relationships and our jobs and created things instead of the Creator God. So Lord, we just confess that before you this morning. If you'll take a moment and spend some time in quiet confession between you and God. Father, we don't have time to confess all of our sins, but we rejoice that you've forgiven them, that you've set them aside, that you've placed them on Jesus and you've given us freedom and you've given us life. We thank you for the climax of the Christmas story, that your son Jesus not only was born into this world, but gave his life for us and conquered death. Lord, I pray that we would live in that freedom, that we would be marked by an honesty about our sin and a celebration of your grace and your goodness to us. pray that you'd lead us as we continue to worship you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. his children Bring many 
and vindication from God the Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. See 
of grace, Lord, as a people who do not deserve your love, but have received it anyway. God, we thank you for making a way, God, for adopting us as your children so we can call you Father. Lord, help us to be a people of love. God, help us to listen now and to, to hear your truth. God, I pray that it will attach itself to our lives. God, help us to chase after you. It's your name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. If you can open your Bibles to Romans, we are going to be in the book of Romans today, Romans chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 1 and 2. Um, those of you, first of all, let me just take a little vote here. How many of you were actually at our first service, August 20th, 2006? Anyone here? All right. Yeah, just like three of you. Cool. All right. Very good. That gives you a little insight into the nature of this church body. I was joking earlier, today is kind of like family Sunday when a lot of our main people or regular people are not here, but a lot of family members are here um, from out of town. So we have a lot of visitors, probably more than normal even today and less of our regular folks. I think we've got a few other people at the church somewhere that have been here for all those services. Um, but we were in Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, on that first Sunday. And we used that as kind of a, a direction for us to set the, uh, set the direction, set the course for the church. Um, we called the sermon then, What Are We Doing Here? Um, I took the title today, a little more from the text. It's called Do Not Conform. But as we look back on a church that's three and a half years old now, and kind of where we've been, what God has taught us in three and a half years, and where we're going in the future. I thought it would be good to look back again at that first text that we opened up to that first Sunday, and uh, kind of redirect our course, um, set sail again for 2010, as we all are kind of thinking about New Year's resolutions, and what are we going to do in the new year, and, and what direction our church is going to take. 
I thought it would be good to, to revisit that, uh, that passage and that section that we looked at before. So if you'll read with me, we'll look at verses uh, 1 through 2 in Romans 12, and then we'll move on. And, and I know we talked about it before, in the, uh, but I wanted to mention again, for those of you that will actually be here again next week, we're going to be looking at a new study in Titus and in 2 Timothy in the new year. Uh, so pray as I make those uh, final preparations to get that ready for next week. Um, but let's read Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray and ask God to uh, teach us this morning. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes and help us to see, help us to be a church that would be different, that would not conform to the pattern of this world, but would be transformed by you. We pray that you would teach us, that you would shape us, that your Holy Spirit would, would guide us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the, the idea of this text is that the world has a certain pattern, a grid, if you will, a mold that it wants to squeeze us into, that it wants to shape us by. And uh, even worse than that, it's not just the world out there, but it's, it's the sin in our own heart. Um, we have this sin in our flesh, in our heart, that wants to shape us and wants to mold us in this certain pattern. We... We have this pattern that, we want, that people want to force us into. Sometimes we want to force ourselves into. And God says, don't conform to that pattern. Be different. Live differently. Look differently. Be transformed. Don't just follow everybody else. Don't just follow the crowd, but be different. As I was thinking about things that are conformed and things that are molded, I was talking to my wife a little bit about it, and she reminded me of one of these really most bizarre stories out of 2009 um, I don't know if y'all saw images of this yet, but there's a guy in China that is now selling pears that are molded into the shape, the form of the Buddha. Anyone seen this before? Anyone? No one? All right. New news. Yes. Chris is the only one. He looks up the news of the weird. But everybody else, this is new. That's exciting. So this guy is, is forming, conforming these pears. They're growing into the shape of this Buddha. He uses this special little... Um, plastic mold that he uses. I don't know if you can see the clear plastic thing that he, he grows them in and he's perfected the science over many years. I don't think he's really a deeply religious man. I think he just wanted to make a buck selling Buddha pears. So um, I'm sure he's making a lot of money now. Um, but but it, it just it gives you that picture, doesn't it, of, of being molded, of being shaped by what's forced on you. You know, this these trappings that are put on you, pressed into you. And then as we grow, we kind of grow into that that mold and that pattern that we're told to follow. And, and that's what happens to all of us. The, the mold, the story of, of the world, if you will, it is that we can do it on our own. That's the mold that Adam and Eve set for us. That's the pattern of the world, this suicidal love affair with self and independence where we say, God, I don't need you. I can do my own thing. And that's the mold that, that Adam and Eve gave us. And that's the mold that we've been growing into ever since. And that's the story of the world. That's the pattern of the world. That's the way we've been growing. Thankfully, that's not the whole story, right? As Christians, we believe that's not 
the whole story, that there is a happy ending to this story, that God came into this world to set us free. We just finished celebrating Christmas, the birth of Jesus, God becoming flesh, becoming man, being born as a baby, to live the perfect life that we couldn't live, to take our place, and to die the death that we deserved to die on the cross. And the story doesn't just end there, but he rose from the dead. He conquered death, as we just sang in that last song that we sang, so that we know now that we can conquer death as well by faith in him, by trusting in him and what he's done. So we can throw off now the pattern of the world, the the mold of this world, the mold that Adam and Eve gave us of saying, do it yourself, do it on your own, you don't need God, he's not really out after your best interests, he's really out to get you, you can't trust him, do your own thing. We can say, no, we can trust God. We can follow Him. We can live in Him. We can accept His will for our life. We can throw off that mold, that pattern that the world sets for us. We can be transformed spiritually because of this good news, because of this truth of the gospel. That's our hope. And as we look into 2010, I want us to kind of, again, reset our priorities. What are we going to be about? And look through it again through the same grid we looked at three and a half years ago. Uh, let's understand, what does Paul tell us in this text? How, how do we actually go about this? How do we actually not conform any longer to the pattern we've been given and be transformed spiritually? What, what does that actually look like? And the first thing that I think we need to do is have a focus on viewing grace. Viewing grace. That's going to be a priority for our church. It's something we talked about that first Sunday. It's something we've talked about many times before. But we're going to do everything that we do in view of God's mercy is the phrase that it says here. In view of God's mercy off your bodies as living sacrifices. Be transformed. Renew your minds. All these things, it's in view of God's mercy is what it says in the NIV. If you have another translation, ESV or New American Standard, it's, it's by God's mercy or through God's mercy. That's, that's the grid. That's the new pattern. That's the new mold for us is a God that loves us, a God that shows mercy to us. The idea of mercy, the idea of grace is that we deserve death. We deserve punishment. We deserve separation from God. But God, in His grace and His mercy, steps into our world. He, he interrupts the story. He breaks the mold that we've been given and shows us forgiveness, shows us grace, shows us His love and His delight in us. And we have to continue to view things through that, through that mold. We have to continue focusing on that reality, that truth, that God is a God of grace that loves us, that revealed that grace ultimately through Jesus Christ himself. I was thinking about a good object lesson for what this looks like in our life, and I was thinking about building a path. I had just rearranged some stone pathways uh, in our house the other day, or outside of our house. We don't have stone pathways in our house, but outside, like in this mulch area that we have. And that's not a picture of our garden, but I found that online. It kind of looks like that, you know, it's these kind of rough stones in some mulch. And what I find, and I've done this before, I laid bricks in an old historic home we had before, and just in different places, when you're laying a path, it helps if you keep keeping in mind, you know, where you're trying to get to, where you're trying to go, the goal, right? Have any of you ever laid a path out in the garden? Anyone ever done this? Y'all really need to get out in your yards more. I just want to <laughs> encourage you in 2010, work outside, okay, people? Um, well, when you're doing it, now you, you'll have some instruction. When you're doing it, if you just put one stone down after another, you're going to end up in the wrong place. You have to keep viewing where you're going. You have to keep in mind the pattern that you're shooting for. You have to keep looking up and lifting your head and taking the right view of things. And it's the same way with the gospel. It's the same way with his mercy. In view of his mercy, Paul's now talking about the first 11 chapters of Romans. If you want to find out more about Romans, you can go to uh, Oscar and Nathan's Romans class that meets over there 
at 10.30. Next week, they'll meet again. Next week, right? Y'all are back on next week? All right, and you can look at that. Those first 11 chapters of Romans, all about God's mercy, all about God's grace for us, His gospel, His good news, breaking that story of the world, breaking that mold of the world. Well, we as Christians have to continue to lift our heads as we're walking through life and, and review our life through the grid of the gospel, through the mold of His grace. We have to view His grace in everything that we do. Because otherwise we just keep our heads down. We keep building that path and it's just one stone and you can get a little inch off of one stone, right? And then you're an inch off of the next stone. And before you know it, your, your path is going in completely the wrong direction. As Christians, we have to continue to, to lift our heads, to look back and to view God's mercy for us, to review that, that mold that we've been given. Um, Tim Keller likes to quote Martin Luther. So I've kind of got a double quote here of of Tim Keller talking about this viewing God's grace and talking about Martin Luther at the same time. Keller says, the main problem in the Christian life is that we have not thought out the deep implications of the gospel. We fail to grasp and believe it through and through. Luther said, the truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary is it that we know this article well. First, we've got to know it well. We have to teach it to others. And here's the most important part, Martin Luther, wisdom from the ages past, and beat it into their heads continually. Don't you love that quote from Luther? We have to continue to beat the gospel into our heads all the time, or we'll just, we'll veer off course. We have to continue to beat it, and it's this lovely juxtaposition, right? This, this artist, artistic irony here of beating it into our heads, but it's God's grace. It's his delight for us. Because we don't want to believe it. We don't want to think that way. We don't want to see the world through that grid. We have to keep forcing ourselves to realize it, to believe it, to see it. That God gave himself for us. Sure, we'll celebrate Christmas. We'll have a whole festival devoted to it. But then we'll, we'll forget it next week. And we'll just go back to our way of doing things. That it's all up to us. That we're on our own. Nobody cares. We have to continue to tell ourselves, to preach that gospel to ourselves. To view the world through God's grace. How are we doing in this area? As a church, how are we doing in this area? What grade would you give yourself in this area? Just think about it for a minute. 2009, if you've been with us since since 06 as a church, what kind of grade would you give us as a church for the last three and a half years? Have we been viewing life through God's grace, through what he's given to us, through what he's done for us? I hope so. I've seen little pieces of that. Excuse me. I've seen little pieces of that throughout my time here. I've seen people who have hit hard things, who have suffered, who have struggled, who've grieved over it, who've cried, but have lifted their head again and, and re-examined God's grace for them. We have to continue doing that. It's a process. It's, it's not this kind of fake uh, religion where you, you never acknowledge the pain or the grief and you just kind of roll along pretending everything's happy and perfect all the time. That, that's not what we're talking about. It's the continually realigning ourselves. Yes, we struggle. Yes, we suffer. Yes, we're sinned against. Yes, we sin against other people. But then reorienting, our, reorienting ourselves back to his grace for us, his love, his forgiveness for us. I think we've done well as a church, but I think we can always do more in this area. I think this is the principal article of the Christian faith, as Martin Luther says. This is not just the first step of Christianity. You don't just enter Christianity through the gospel you live every day by the gospel. All, all those phrases throughout the New Testament where it says, walk by the Spirit, don't walk by the flesh. It's saying, walk in dependence on God, His Spirit, and who He is and His empowerment for us. Don't walk by the flesh, meaning my own strength. I can do it myself. 
I'm strong, I can do it. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Well, it's good to take responsibility for yourself, but we have to know that we need God to empower us and to fill us so that we can be responsible people, so we can do what's right. We need to depend on Him in prayer, looking to Him, looking to His goodness and His grace. And I just want to apologize. When I look back over the last three and a half years, I think I've continually reoriented myself to the gospel, but I know there's been times when I haven't. I know there's been times when I have leaned on my own flesh, when I've tried to do ministry. I've tried to minister grace to you in my own strength. And that's pretty stupid, isn't it? To try to give grace and say, depend on God, but I'm strong enough to do it on my own. Depend on God and trust in Him, but, but I can do it myself. And, and I want to apologize. I want to confess that often I've done that myself. I've, I've leaned on my own strength, and that's one thing that God continues to teach me. And hopefully He'll keep teaching me my whole life. And I want to challenge all of us as a body to continue to learn that as well. That when we find ourselves leaning on our own strength and doing it in our own effort, to repent of that, to say, that's, that's not going to work. I need Him. And go back to God and say, God, fill me with Your Spirit. Help me walk by Your Spirit and not by my own flesh. The next thing I want to look at is being a church that's Bible-tested. Bible-tested. And what I mean by this is, is this phrase where he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we need to, to change our thinking. We need to reorient our thinking by the truth, not by our own truth, not by our own whims or what we feel like or what we ate for breakfast or what we didn't eat for breakfast, but we need to be controlled by what he says. What does God say to us? Well, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. I have a picture here of a bridge. And I want to ask you, if you were out in the middle of nowhere and you come across a bridge that you've never walked on before... Would you just run right out onto it? I mean, yeah, some of you would. But, but most of you, the smarter ones in the audience, you, you'd test it, right? You would test it. Oh, man, I'm like tied in a knot here. Whoa. Um, you would test the bridge. You, you'd maybe stomp on it a little bit, see if it held your foot, maybe hold onto a tree while you did that. You might inspect it. You might look, is it rotten or does it look like it's newly constructed? Does it look like it's solid? Is it bolted together well? You would test it. And, and the scripture is a gift that God has given us. The Bible is a gift that God has given us to test our ideas and our worldviews and how we see things. Because the world is always giving us this mold to live by, right? The world's always trying to press us into this mold. We're, like I said, sometimes we're trying to press ourselves into that mold. We have our own kind of false thinking, the way we want to do it. But God says, test it by God's word. Renew your mind with God's word, with the Bible, with the scripture with everything he said in the first 11 chapters of Romans, with the whole story of the Bible, start to, to reshape your worldview so you know what God's will is. So you're not just guessing. But you can test it. You can say, well, does that, does that measure up with his word? Is it in here or is it just some whim I have? And this is so important because the world is full of half-true ideas. The world is full of half-true ideas. See, often we, we live in this kind of polarizing kind of thinking where we say, well, they're the bad guys and I'm the good guys and the good guys are always right and bad guys are always wrong. But our world is, is just full of people that are halfway right about a lot of different things. And it gets real confusing, doesn't it? It gets exhausting trying to figure out, well, was that right? Well, that sounds right, but that part sounds a little off and trying to discern what's right and, and what's wrong. But, it, but if this is a world that God made and if we're people made in God's image, even if that image is fractured and broken by sin... 
we're naturally going to produce all kinds of halfway right stuff. Does that make sense? Because we've got God's image stamped onto us. And yes, it's fractured by sin. And yes, it's broken. And so we're going to produce stuff that's true and stuff that's not true. And so we're going to just be churning out truth and fiction and falsehood and good things and bad things. And and we're going to constantly be, throughout our life, every day, having to discern, to test, and approve, well, what's God's will in this situation? What is true? What are they saying that's right? And what are they saying that's not right? We can't just turn our brains off and just take everybody's advice all the time. We have to filter things through the scripture. We have to test things with God's word. Is it, is it true or not? I think we've done pretty well in this area. Um, there's, there's one area I think we could really improve in. One, this is, this is kind of an interesting area because this is one area where I feel like it's a sign of health at our church, but it's also a sign of, of uh, disease, I guess, in a sense, socially. But what I've seen is we have more and more people uh, coming in for marriage counseling to me. And I enjoy that, and I'm glad to see you, and, and that's a blessing. And so I'm excited that, that people are coming into the church and seeking help, and that's, that's part of what we feel like God has given us to do, is to help people, right? To help people to grow and to live their lives according to His will. Um, but what I've noticed is just more and more people living in confusion in their relationships, not understanding what God's Word has to say about marriage. And as we read God's Word, we understand that, that God says that we are to covenant with someone for a lifetime, we're to love that person forever. And yes, there are some minor exceptions in scriptures, and I can talk to you about those. But, but for the most part, marriage is a lifetime commitment. It's something that God gives to people to bond with each other forever. Sexuality is something that God designed. It's something he invented, and it's a wonderful gift. But it, again, it's something he created to be enjoyed in that covenant, protected, secure in that covenant. And so I want to challenge us as a body to continue to reorient ourselves to what the scriptures have to say. Because as people come in, it's, it's a blessing. Again, as I say, I've, I've had more and more of this happening uh, quite regularly, you know, a couple people a week. Um, and I'm, I'm helping them to reinterpret and to review their worldview according to what the scripture says. Say, well, what does God have to say about relationships? Like I said, that's a good sign that, that, that people are coming in and, and wanting to find truth. But it's also a sign and a reminder that our culture is a culture in which nobody really knows what the truth is. Everybody's confused and has all these different molds for, for how relationships should go, what they should look like, how we should live, how we should love each other. And, and there's a lot of confusion out there. So I just want to challenge you to reorient yourself by God's Word. Understand what He says. Because He invented it. Because He loves us. He, he came up with all this stuff. He, he gave us hormones. He gave us attractions. He gave us these things. And, and it was His idea. I think it was a pretty cool idea. I'm glad he came up with it. I think it's a great blessing to be enjoyed. But I want to encourage you to, to submit yourself to his direction because, again, it was his idea and he cares for you. It's not like some arbitrary rule maker that says, no, I want it all to be done this way and not that way and I'm just going to make you miserable. No, he, he had a design in mind for your, for your blessing, for your enjoyment. The other thing I want to challenge us with is as we look into the new year to think about just daily habits of orienting yourself to God's Word? Have you established some habits, some ways to, to press God's Word into your life so that you can begin testing your own ideas, the ideas of others, what you read, what you see by God's Word? Are you filling your life someplace with God's Word? Some people like to wake up and have their coffee and read the Bible and spend some time praying. Uh, some people have devotional guides that they'll read. You know, these little guides that may have a couple of scriptures and then some explanation with them daily uh, guides. 
Now, some people like to listen to things on audio, um, like MP3 player or whatever, when you're exercising or going for a walk or driving and you like to kind of begin to feed yourself on the scriptures that way. I want to challenge you to find a way to inject that into your life, to begin building daily habits of growing and understanding God's word so that you can get stronger and you can begin to test and approve what God's will is. Not just handle things on the whim, but, but know what he says about life. There's a couple of websites you could write down. One is rbc.org. Um, it's Radio Bible Class, and they produce some great uh, devotional guides. Basically, you know, January 1, January 2, you just flip around, and it has a scripture, and it has a little explanation and a little story that will help to help it sink in for you. Um, that's a great one I've used uh, in times in the past. Another great tool you can use is uh, the Daily Bible. That's something as a church we did together a couple of years ago. And that is a Bible that pieces the Bible together in chronological order. So you get kind of a feel for history. You know, it gets confusing reading these different books of the Bible and the Old Testament. And they all are kind of out of order because they're arranged by genre, like poetry books, prophecy books, history books. So they're arranged kind of like a genre of literature, a type of literature. They're not arranged in order the way our Bible normally is. Not arranged in order. So this chronological Bible, the daily Bible, and you can get other ones too, arranges it in order and helps you get kind of a feel for the flow of things, how, how it goes, how God has worked through redemptive history. One more thing that I want to mention is examine.me, and it's a website that basically guides you in spiritual journaling, reading scripture, writing some observations, praying, writing some prayers, reading some more scriptures, making more observations, and it's all online, and it's spelled ex. A-M-E-N. It's like X-A-M-E-N dot M-E. So you can look that up. That's another way, too, if you like doing things online. It's basically a spiritual uh, journaling type thing. One thing I want to challenge us, too, in the new year is the level of participation we have in small groups. Right now we've got about 20% of our body, about body of about 500 people, about 20% are involved in small group community. And I want to challenge you um, to get involved in community, too. Because that's a great way to help you grow in the Word is by actually interacting with others so that you're talking about it. And it's not just you as a silo, as an island by yourself, you know, between you and God and your Bible. You're actually involved in community, loving each other, caring for each other. Uh, the Scripture has a lot to say about that as the way that we really grow. And actually, the, the few verses after this, we don't have time to go into them, but in Romans chapter 12, he goes into more detail about living in community. And we all have different gifts to contribute to each other and all give our gifts to the body and to share with each other the way God's made us all differently. Well, the next thing, or the last thing really, is, is that we should be a sacrificing church. That we should be a sacrificing church. First one says it, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So again, throughout the New Testament, this is said, uh, we have public worship, gathered worship, where we are worshiping in a very uh, limited way, right, just for this hour on Sunday morning, but that is to fuel the worship that takes place the whole week. Because the New Testament says that there's worship where you sing a song or praise God or, or proclaim some great thing He's done. That's, that's worship, what we do on Sunday mornings as a gathered church. But worship is also our whole life. Here He's saying your whole lives, offering your lives as living sacrifices. That is the Christian's worship. Our whole life should be worship. So like dropping a kid off, picking up a kid, you know, chaperoning or, or going to work or working in your garden, laying a path of stones. You know, everything that you might do in life, no matter how mundane it might seem, that should all be worship. 
That should all be something offered to God. That your whole life should be a living sacrifice to God. It's not just when you step into the walls of a sanctified building that you're worshiping. But everything you do should be worship. Everything you do should be offered to Him. Your whole life should be worship offered up to God. You should be a living sacrifice. And there's, you've heard the quote before, you know, the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar, right? They keep trying to not be a sacrifice anymore and not give themselves anymore. And again, this is this ongoing thing in our life where we continue to offer ourselves. You know, the, the grammar here is not just a once in time, off yourself, then you're done and you've arrived and you're a Christian superhero, but continue to offer yourselves, continue to give yourselves away to others, to God in worship. I have a great picture here of someone giving themselves away, diving in. The idea is just that we just dive in, that we wouldn't be the kind of people that are just sticking our toes in the water, right? You've seen that. I, I have to admit I do that sometimes in the pool. But in the spiritual life, we should just dive in. We should just jump in head first. We should give ourselves. We shouldn't hold back. If we really believe that God is generous, that we're safe, that our future is secure, in a way that should make us reckless, right? A godly recklessness, but but reckless. You know, a freedom to give ourselves, to just dive into life, to give ourselves a way to offer our lives, to be living sacrifices. As we think about this, one thing I want to challenge our body with in 2010 is that same 20% statistic. It's interesting because this is, you always, you've probably heard this in volunteer organizations, but there's always this joke about like 20% of the people doing 80% of the work or 80% of the volunteering. Well, we, we actually have that at our church as well. I talked about with small groups, we only have about 20% of our body involved in small group community. We also only about have 20% of our body involved in, in the volunteering or service, like volunteering at the office or volunteering in the Sunday school, as a Sunday school teacher or hosting a small group at your house or... Um, working in the nursery or things like that. That's a percentage I'd like to see increase. I want to challenge you, our body, to increase that. Now, I want to say, too, I know that some of you are doing ministry off the books. You know what that means? Off the books, that means I know you're giving your lives in ministry to others. I know that it doesn't have to be in these walls. I know it doesn't have to be in one of our classrooms for it to count, okay? I understand that. Um, But we'd still like to see that percentage increase. We'd still like to see more people get involved. We'd still like to see uh, what God's doing in this organization to grow so that we can reach more people through this organization. But we also are, we are thankful and blessed for how God is growing you by His grace. You're growing and understanding the scriptures and you are giving your lives away. And I hear those stories all the time. So don't think that, that, it's, that it's completely going unnoticed. For one thing, I hear these stories and I'm thankful and I give thanks to God for you and for what you're doing. But God knows even if nobody ever tells me, even if I don't know or some Sunday school teacher doesn't know about it, God knows what you're doing. So I want to thank you for the ways that you're giving your lives in ministry, for the ways that you are being living sacrifices, the ways that you're giving yourselves away. And I want to bless you for that and thank you for that as a congregation and tell you to continue to grow in that. And don't start patting yourself on the back and saying, hey, look at me, I'm giving myself away in ministry, but continue to realign your eyes back to the gospel, to do these things in view of God's mercy. Because God has given to us, we're going to give to others. Because God has loved us, we're going to love others and continue to realign yourself with that reality as you move forward. Well, as we can conclude, I was thinking about this this word that I hear a lot in the spiritual life, um, pressing in to God. Have you ever heard that? 
I think I've heard college students say, you know, you have these little fad words, that, like these spiritual words. People are talking about pressing in to God. And I, and I understand what they're saying. It's this, this trying to pursue Him, that, that they would really press into His presence, pursue Him, understand Him, know Him more deeply. And I was thinking about just the other day when we were eating at Freebirds World Burrito. Anybody eat at Freebirds? It's a great place, none of you. You've got to go there. Y'all don't have very many experiences that I've had. I'm feeling disconnected here this morning. Nobody builds rock paths. Nobody goes to Freebirds. You should try Freebirds. It's like Chipotle, but a lot better. And uh, it's basically one of these giant burrito places. You know, you get like a baby-sized burrito, and it's wrapped in tinfoil. And one of the things that you do is, is people will take their tinfoil, and they'll make sculptures that then they'll set on the brick walls at this place. And uh, I decided I wanted to do a little something different. I'm not, not that good with my hands. And I thought, I know what I could do. I could press it into my face. And I could make a mold of my face. I got a bunch of sheets of it, and I was pressing it in. And, you know, I was trying to get the details around the nose right and pressing it up my nostrils. And my you know, brother and sister-in-law were laughing at me as I'm pushing it up and trying to get it just right. And then I set it on one of their hat displays under the hat. So it's like this silver face wearing a hat. And I actually got rewarded for it. I got a free burrito because the cook thought it was so cool what I had made. But, but what, I was, what I was thinking about, there's a spiritual connection there somewhere. I'm trying to what that was. The, the, the concept is that he says, God says he wants us to be conformed to the image of his son. That, that instead of conforming things to my image or being conformed to the world's pattern that it's set for us, that we would be conformed to Jesus, that we would continue to press in to him, to get more close to him, to pursue him, to, to try to meet him in his word, to meet him in worship and in service. These are all things that, that begin to shape us, begin to help us to take on his form so that we don't look like him physically, but we still look like him. We begin to look like Jesus. We begin to be renewed in the image of our creator, as it talks about in Colossians. That, that we're renewed in that image that we were made, what we were made to look like in the first place, that, that we would love him and we would begin to bring glory to him and reflect him then to the world around us. That's my prayer for 2010, that we would begin to look more like him. Thank you, guys. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for shaping us. We thank you for interrupting uh, the tragedy that we all live in. Lord, the story was going badly and you, you broke the mold, and you changed the story, and you interjected yourself into it. You became the hero. When all hope was lost, you came in to rescue us, and we thank you for that. We thank you for the rescue that we have in Jesus. We pray that you would continue to teach us by your Spirit to rely on you and not to rely on our own strength, to press into you, to conform to the image of your Son, and not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Help us to be new. Help us to, uh, to encourage each other in that walk. That we wouldn't try to do it on our own, but we would help each other grow. We pray in Jesus. Amen. Be able to stand. Let's sing this last song together. And it's just our prayer that we will see the goodness of God and respond rightly in obedience. So let's sing this, these words together and think about that. Offer of my life in spirit and truth, pouring out the oil of love as my worship to you. 
that is oh of the dead of love that is oh of the dead Father, we thank you. We thank you for the great reminder we have at Christmas that you are a God that loves us, does not leave us on our own, but has entered into our story to make it right. I pray that you would help us to live that out for others in the words that we speak, in the things that we do to serve and love those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're dismissed.